Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the Lion's Den, Monument, Colorado. Thank you, Derek and Susan Fulmer, for letting me hold up here for this interview with Jimmy Dodd, CEO of PastorServe, an amazing organization that I'm, I'm a big fan of what you do and how you help pastors. So welcome, Jimmy. Man, thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. And it's great to see you and again. Every podcast, it's been way too long. Let me just say that every podcast I do from now on, this is like the gold standard. This the, the bar is very high now. <laughs> With you a know, cigar on, and a brew, and this is pretty high. Do- I love this. This is incredible. So, thank nice. you. Honored I'm, to be here. I'm glad we're setting the bar now. Come on, we're, we're raising the bar and establishing <laughs> where people need to go from here. So, tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? How did you become a pastor? Yeah, I started off in Wichita, Kansas. Grew up in a uh, very church-going family that was far from Jesus. Really? Which I think is very common. You know, we did everything, and we very involved in church, helped the poor, did all the things in the church. My dad was on every church council. Never heard the gospel there one time. And my brother, when he was 16 and I was 11, he was invited to like a big type of a special weekend with the church. And he you came back and said, hey, you know what? We're not Christians. Well, you guys are Christians. I am, but you guys aren't Christians. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was just a shock. And uh, How so? How was it a shock? Well, it was like, Kenny, we're a really good family. We do really good, good things. He said, I, we just don't think that this is true. We think that we are Christians. And he said, well, I gave my life to Christ this week at this camp. And I uh, heard what it means to actually really, really love Jesus. And we go through all the motions, but we don't love Jesus. And it was just a shock. And after about a year, uh, just watching his life, I thought, you know what, I'm at that same place and I gave my life to Christ. And I felt called to be a pastor clearly when I was 12 years old, which I know sounds bizarre. Mm-hmm. It just sounds bizarre. But I mean, I was in church and I can just remember God just speaking in my heart so clearly that I should be a pastor. And from the age of 12, this has really been my direction. There's all sorts of crazy stories in junior high and high school that I got to share Christ with a lot of people. And so how uh, old were you when you made your decision? When I gave my life to Christ, I was 11. When okay. I felt called to be a pastor, I was 12 years old. So your brother was an older brother. Yeah, he's an older brother. And what other siblings did you have? That's just it. Me and okay. my brother. He's five, five years older. Okay. And then we had some foster siblings. Okay. That's a whole other story. Really? Oh, yeah. It's a rough part of our family history. How we so? just. Just because we just, I mean, like, especially two really, really, really troubled girls that we just loved with everything we had as a family. And they'd just been through so much pain and heartache and grief in their life, they could not receive it. Oh, and uh, it was painful. My dad, very stoic guy, you know, he's a war veteran, he'd been through everything. The first time I saw him sob, was this gal, Jackie, that we just gave everything to her. And she was in our family photos. And we just, you know, you're like my sister, Jackie. We gave her everything you could imagine. She just couldn't, she could not receive it. It was incredibly painful. Tell me about your parents. Yeah, my dad, very, very much an entrepreneur. And he was also a lawyer, but he had apartment complexes. And he was involved in all sorts of deals. Very, very generous man. Really? Very, very generous. Loved to give, loved to... Just be, it just was amazingly 
kind. God blessed him financially through a bizarre business deal. Really? But he started Taco Kid, which was a restaurant, years and years ago. And it was just like, it just struggled and did okay. And then Taco Kid sold out and he got tons of stock in Fiesta Cantina. And then Fiesta Cantina sold out to Pizza Hut. And then Pizza Hut sold out to PepsiCo. And PepsiCo sold out to Yum. And every time... It was a small investment, you know, like $10,000 in 1968 that turned into... It wasn't a small investment in 1968. That's true. true. Looking back, it feels small. I mean, he has blessed so many... I mean, he blessed missionaries and he gave so much of that away. So were your brother accepting Christ? Did that then translate over to your parents? Yeah. So they came about a year, year and a half, you know, actually after me. Because they were like, okay, our kids have left our church. They've gone to this different church. And they don't go to our church anymore. And what's going on? So they started to come to our church a little bit more often because they were just curious. And what's over here at this church that's not at our church? And they just began to hear the gospel. And they they gave their lives to Christ. And it transformed our family. And I mean, really transformed our family. I mean, like, because I just shared actually with these guys when I was... 15 years old, and they in, took in, me. in the room is Jim yes. Fennelson, Thank you your much. COO, and Wade Brown, who's the freaking man. He, he is love, the freaking man. I love and, that and, dude and, to death. Incredible man. I was only 15 years old, and they took me to smuggle Bibles into Russia. What? So I was in Kiev at the age of 15. I mean, it's just crazy stories like that. I mean, they were incredibly adventurous. Really? They did so many amazing things, and wow. they just loved to serve and to give. And How did that impact you as a kid, having these adventurous oh. parents? <laughs> when I think about that now, it's comical. I think, well, it's like, oh, that was a little bit reckless, Mom. Dad, you, because they were so afraid that they would be searched, they put all the Bibles, all the concordances, all the books were all in my bags. <laughs> They were all in my bag. So I'm like... The youngest one. Exactly. Because they're like, you know, Jimmy, the odds are that you won't get searched. I can just think back, back to it. It is so clear in my mind at the border <laughs> that there's this gal and they start to scream at this woman and they reach in her bag and they pull out all of this yarn, which to this day, I don't know what the problem was with yarn, but they're pulling this yarn out of her bag, screaming at her. And I'm sitting there thinking, Yarn! She's got, I've got Bibles, which were completely illegal then. She's got yarn and they're grabbing her and she's screaming. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble here. I've got Bibles. And they went through my dad's bag extensively, went through my mom's bag extensively, came to me, just stared at me for a second and said, go ahead. Did not open my, it's just like, now listen, I mean, like as a 15 year old kid, that will change your life. Yeah. That will change your life because it's like, oh my gosh. So very, very early on, I was put in some very faith-stretching places. Wow. And tell me about your mom. My mom was a nurse for a long time. She practiced nursing until she was like 78 years old. And they're like, hey, Alice, you should probably go home now. You know, you've been here for over 50 years. I mean, she worked at the same hospital for over 50 years. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, after 50 years, you know, they should have a wing named after her. But she was a great mom. She was a great nurse, which meant that if anybody was hurt anywhere close to us, they would always stop off at our house. And so like all like every neighbor kid, you know, there's an accident. Go see Alice. And so there was just a constant <laughs> just knocks at our door. And my mom, it was she, she was wonderful. So what kind of a kid were you in high school? 
You know what, I was a kid, but my biggest goal then was I had a dream to make a big, big impact for Jesus. Yeah. So like I was in high school of 2,100 kids, yeah. and I sent a birthday card to every kid in the school on their birthday, with just a short, short, you know, the thing, the thing oh. just about Jesus, and I'd love to talk to you. And every day at school, I had kids that would say, Hey, I got your birthday card. That was kind of weird. What did you mean by all that? So I had a chance to share Christ every day in high school. Wow. A social dude. It was a fun thing. It yeah. was a fun thing. Did you play any sports? I did. I played football. Yeah, we were state champions. Wow. I got offers to three D1 schools. Really? To Iowa State, KU, and Wichita State. But I went to Wheaton College because yeah. I thought, I don't want to be a football player. I want to be a pastor. So... What positions did you play? You're a big uh, dude. You know what? The same thing the whole way through. I always played right tackle. Really? I wasn't good enough to play left tackle. I played right tackle. Yeah. There were some guys on the team that were better. They got to play left tackle. I played right tackle. <laughs> but I mean, state champions every year we played. I mean, yeah. we had a great, we had amazing teams, which I'm sure everybody believes that about their high school years, but we had really good teams. Yeah. So you went to Wheaton? Yes, went to Wheaton College. I was on staff at a... Church there after Wheaton for two years as a youth pastor at the College Church in Wheaton. And then I went to school at Gordon-Conwell, and I was on staff at Grace Chapel. And Where's that at? That's in Lexington, Massachusetts. Okay. And so, yeah, just outside of Boston. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I love Boston. Boston was some great years. Then we went and we pastored for five years in Greenville, South Carolina. And then we moved to uh, Kansas City in 1992, and we started from scratch and planted a church. Really? Yeah. What drew you back to KC? You know, I mean, like, it's interesting because I think I probably had... Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas? Oh, I'm on the Kansas side. Very, okay. very important distinction. Yes. Yeah. Very important distinction. I know. Distinction. I've got a friend who, a really close buddy that lives in Overland Park. and That's where I live. He, really? I live in All Overland right. Park. What's his name? John Dale. I need he's, to get to know the guy. Yeah, he's a great dude. Yeah, it's a great city. Yeah. It's a great city. But you know what, though? I think I always had in my heart, I'd love to be back in Kansas. Really? Because my, yeah, just because my parents yeah. and my wife's parents are also from there. Yeah. And so we just thought, because for I probably had about 10 years of my life where I thought, man, I'm glad to get out of Kansas. Gosh, I'm, it's just so great to be away from Kansas. And then, then I was away from Kansas. And then just this yearning just starts in my heart of, man, I miss Kansas. I miss everything about Kansas. And after a while, I was like, man, I'd love to be back in Kansas City someday. This is a question that, that I'm starting to ask during the rapid fire section at the close. But how in the hell did you become a Packer fan, having never lived in Wisconsin, pastored in Wisconsin? Easy, easy answer. Because when my dad launched Taco Kid, that, you know, that, that restaurant, yeah. he launched it with his best friend from college, Bob Long, who his other job was, he played for the Green Bay Packers. Ah. And so Bob gave me a signed football by, by the Packers in 1968. And when you're an eight-year-old kid and you get a signed football with Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr and Nitschke and World Kramer, champions. They everybody's were, they, on there. That, it's that like was in the middle the of Chiefs their never, run. I never got anything from the Chiefs. Yeah, And it's like, I got this signed ball, which is still in my office. It's nice. like the center piece of my office. Nice. It was like, okay, that's it. I'm a Packers fan. Yeah, so Beautiful. it was all Bob Long. Go Pack Go. Who is still alive and still nice. is a huge, really? yeah, he's a great guy. Beautiful. Yeah. So how'd you meet your wife then? I met my wife because I knew that I would go crazy Wheaton College, I think, for, for like all four years. Because I thought it's a small Christian college and I really enjoy 
talks with folks that don't believe like I believe. And I thought, you know, it's going to be really hard at Wheaton because everybody there might be like-minded. And I thought, I don't want to be there for, for like all four years. So I had this strange plan, go to Wheaton for two years, go back home, go to school for one year, actually Kansas, and then go back to Wheaton. And that's exactly what I did. Really? Yeah. So I went to KU and uh, I met Dayhawk. my wife on... Thank you very much. God bless you. <laughs> John John Dale, my buddy, lives in Overland Park. He, nice. I want to see Kansas go over to the Big Ten eventually. You know, that's... With all the that's turmoil been talked about a lot, But I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. I think the Big 12, I think it's pretty short up. Yeah. Because we'll get Houston and we'll get Memphis. And I think they're, they're going to get two other schools. Memphis, Houston, BYU. Yeah. And then there's one one more school that's going to come. I can't think yeah. who it is. But anyway, we digress. You go to Kansas, then yes. you go back to Wheaton. Yes. Your wife. So uh, very, very, very first day I met my wife because we had both worked at a, a sports camp that's called Camp Canacook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved your wife. She, she had on a shirt. It was like, Camp Canacook? I've worked at Canacook. And so there was this very, very strong, very, very strong connection very quickly. And Joe White is one of my best friends. I talked to Joe White very dear, he's a lot. A he's, a, he's an incredible man. He's a great leader. I just want he's to give a godly you a big man. hug. I just want to give you a big hug. <laughs> I, I used to run the board for Life on the Edge Live, which was a okay. live call-in show at Focus on the Family, and Joe was the co-host. Oh, nice. And uh, I just want to give you, I just want to reach through this radio and give you a big hug. Joe is a One of my uh, few impressions that I do. <laughs> Joe is brilliant. He's smart. And there's this other side. He's a hillbilly. <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's an Ozark guy. Yeah, yeah. I love him to death. He's one of the most kind, amazing leaders. He loves people like I have. It's just incredible. Does Joe Thank like him. an occasional cigar? What's that now? Does Joe like an occasional cigar? Trust me. No. Okay. <laughs> or, or, or like an occasional drink? No. Okay. I mean, he's very strong. He's, he's like, hey, that's he's okay. A good, he's a good Southern Baptist boy. He's a, yeah, he's a... <laughs> But he's an amazing man. Oh, I love him. Amazing. I love him. So at what point did you get married? We got married in 1983. And so we got married. And so I had done my first year up in Chicago at the church. Yeah. So, so we did year two and then Boston together and then South Carolina and then Kansas City. How did that go? Starting a church in Kansas City, Kansas. You know by, yeah. <laughs> just by God's grace, it went really, really hmm. well, which is extremely unusual because oftentimes... It's, you know, I mean, like, it's just very, very slow starts. And I mean, God was just very kind to us. And we got some very, very strong leaders in very quickly. Really? And there was a guy in the church that for some strange reason, he was like, man, you should be on the radio. And I'm like, I don't really want to be on the radio. He goes, oh, he said, I want to pay for the whole thing. We're going to have a show and I'll pay for the whole bill every year. I'm like, okay. And a bunch of people came because of the radio show. They're like, yeah. Hey, we heard you on the radio. We thought back, we would just stop by. Back in that day, radio. Back, back in that day, it was crazy. Radio had some real power. It was, yeah, very bizarre. And so the church just began to grow. And uh, What year did you start the church? 1992. Okay. And uh, we spun off a daughter in 1995 that was a lot more for that church about money, not people. And then we spun off a daughter in 97 with a guy named Scott Sauls who is now kind of a big name in Christianity. I mean, he writes amazing books and he is very, very well known. He's just a great speaker, great leader. And he has a big, big church in Nashville. He's a great guy. Mm. So there was tremendous growth in the 
church. And so it's like, man, God is blessing this church incredibly. So you would see the church and say, man, everything is really good. You know what? I was at your church service, strong message, strong worship, great children's ministry. But I was miserable, Steve. I was miserable because I knew in my heart that my backstage and my front stage did not match. I knew... Personally or within the culture of the church? Oh, no, no. Me. me, Really? Me. Really? Because my worth was in the church. My complete self-worth was the church. So I worked stupid hours. Really? And did things for the church and did not do things for my wife and my kids. And I was lustful and I was jealous and I was envious and I was, you know what? Also, I was very, very much a theological bully. I was in the PCA and there's some great folks in the PC. I mean, Keller and Randy Pope, I could go on and on. There's some great people in the PC. Sproul. Oh, I loved him. But there's some, (laughs) but there's some arrogant people in the PCA. And you know what? That was very much me. And I just thought, Man, if you give me 15 minutes, I can change your mind on baptism, on the role of women, on worship, on the right. I mean, it was, just, it was arro- massive arrogance. And, you know, I just was not a nice person. I mean, like I love to argue and love to just debate. And I just had, and so I was just miserable because I thought, okay, you know what? If you really, really, really knew me, you know what? You wouldn't like me. Ooh. So I can't really let you get to really know me but I could play the game which meant I could share just I mean like enough dirt in my life that you'd say oh my gosh you're so open and so honest it's incredible and I wasn't open and honest I was playing a game I just knew that if Mm -hmm. I shared this much with you that you'll say I think you shared this whole heart with me no I kept so much back and just yeah it was just a game I played but I was fearful it's like I have to keep going I'm on this treadmill now and the church needs to keep growing and I need to work harder and I need to do more and find more staff. And it was just, I mean, I was exhausted spiritually and emotionally and physically. And I was in a place that was not great. And God gave me a wake up call. That was the wake up call of wake up calls. And I'm telling you, I get emotional every time I think about it. But my son, Mark at the time was like 10 and he played golf one day with my wife's dad who at that point was far away from Jesus. So he's like, Jimmy, I don't exactly understand what you do, and I'm never going to talk to you about your job or faith or religion. It was like, okay, Roger. Although, my gosh, at the end of his life, he gave his life to Christ, and it was just this uh, amazing transformation. But anyway, you know, there's just this one day, and he said, you know what, Jimmy, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay, Roger. He goes, I don't want to get in your business. I don't want to push on you. But I was out with Mark playing golf, And I just casually asked Mark, hey, Mark, you know what? What do you want to do one day when you grow up? And he said, you know, Mark thought for a long time. He said, Grandpa, I don't know. I have no idea. But I know what I don't want to do. Just be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. Which is like, oh. He said, because my dad, he's always gone. He's not at home. He's so busy. He's doing all this stuff. And I thought, that was heartbreaking. And I thought, okay, you know what? I've got to get some help. I've got to get some help because everybody thinks it's great. And you know what? It's crazy the way we think. Because if you're in this you know, fast-growing church, we think, well, let's give this guy more of a platform. Let's let him speak at conferences, and he should be on some boards. So, so I'm joining boards and speaking at more things. And everybody, well, he's got a radio show. It's, and yet I was miserable. I was miserable. And so I went to about 
five very godly men and just said, something is really wrong in my life. I feel like I've got everything is just upside down, just as far as my life and priorities. I mean, I can't go on. I mean, I cannot go on like this because I'm just emotionally drained. And these men spoke the gospel to me. They just preached the gospel to me. And I think that I believed that the gospel was true for everybody in the world, but not me. For everybody, grace, for me, no, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. That you know, The church has to keep growing. It has to be a bigger budget, everything else. And I went through a massive transformation. And the guy that had the, the a really big, big impact, his name was Jack just, Miller. Just with those five guys. Yeah, these five guys. Yeah. There was a guy named Jack Miller. And he would say the same thing every time I saw him. He'd say, hey, Jimmy, cheer up. You're worse than you think. <laughs> but you're more deeply loved by Jesus than you will ever possibly comprehend. And that phrase for me, it was life-changing. It was life-changing. I'm worse than I think. I'm worse than I will ever admit. I'm a broken mess. And yet I'm more loved by Jesus than I will ever possibly comprehend. And it was life-transforming. And then, I mean, like these other men just spoke to me about family and marriage and priorities. And I think I also just became a much nicer person because I think that God kind of pried open my hand and said, okay, you've got all these things in this hand that should be for absolutes. You should, you know, I mean, you should hold on to these things tight. You should die for these things, for your faith and for Jesus Christ is the only way. And we are, you've got over in this hand, you've got baptism in this hand and you've got the role of women in this hand and you've got spiritual gifts. Buddy, that's the wrong hand. Stop arguing over it. These things need to be in the sand where you're very open-handed. And you're like, hey, there's some very smart people on both sides. You know, I'm not going to debate this at all. And it just took about a year. And God, I mean, you know what? I just became a much nicer person. Really? And my gosh, I had to go back and apologize to a lot of my friends and say, and I don't know if you use bad words on this podcast. I just would say, I've been an ass. I've been an ass. I am so sorry, would you please forgive me? I just had to go just, yeah. but it was a time in my life, massive transformation. The thing which I did not expect, I didn't plan, I hadn't done anything towards this. Pastors begin to call me and say, hey man, I've listened to your stuff on the radio for years. Something's changed. Something's really different. Really? And you seem like a safe person to talk to. Could we meet? And I would say, I don't know if I have any wisdom. I mean, I don't know if I have anything to share, but I can just listen. We can meet and I can just process with you. So I just began to meet with pastors. And the thing that just amazes me is I heard a thousand different stories, but it was the same story every time. It was always, okay, I have a big issue in my life. It's my marriage or like I have an addiction, it's pornography, it's alcohol. I've got this big, big conflict in my church. I don't know what to do, whatever it might be. And if I have a big issue in my life, there's a place where I'm supposed to go. I'm supposed to go to my board or my elders or my district superintendent or my bishop or whoever. But I would never go there. Because I think if I went there, and I think if I was really completely honest with them, I think they'd fire me. Because we, really? we shoot our wounded. Oh my gosh, we do. Absolutely it's we awful. do. It's yeah, awful. We do. We do. And I've got a mortgage. And I'm, I've got kids in college. Or I've got, you know what, and I've got no plan be for like my life vocation, this is it. So I know that I have to be a pastor. 
I've got to be a pastor. I can't lose my job. I cannot lose my job because if I lost my job, I'm sunk. I mean, I am sunk in life, which means I have no place where I can go and just talk about all the crap in my life. And I heard that story mm. over and over and over. And it, it just began to break my heart. I just began to think, gosh, where do pastors go? Now, there are some phenomenal churches where there's really good boards and there's really good, good That's you know, a healthy support. culture. Yeah, and they support really, and they there, understand. There, there, there are those churches. Yeah. But there's a lot more yes. that it's an unhealthy Which culture. Is sad. And just they just feel like, man, there's no place to go. Yeah. And after I heard that story over and over again, for like actually years, I mean, God just broke my heart and he changed my call. He very clearly, very clearly changed my call and said, all right, I want you to pastor pastors. Now, before we get to that transition, yeah. going back to your son. Yes. What kinds of conversations did you have with him and how did your transformation affect your relationship yeah. with him moving forward. Yeah. First of all, the end of the story, my son's a pastor. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and he's a great pastor. I mean, he's such a great pre... I mean, my gosh, I hear him preaching, I'm going, he got all the gifts in the family. I mean, he is so <laughs> strong. So yeah, God used that amazingly. But I made some huge changes in my life and my schedule. I'm like, you know what? If I want to hurt people because I'm not there, it's not going to be my wife and my kids. And so I just begin to change, I mean, massively, just as far as my schedule and priorities, I begin to coach his sports really? teams, I coach his really? soccer team, I coach his basketball team. How old was he at the time? Other. How old was he at the time when he told his grandpa that? I think he was 10. Wow. Yeah, he was 10. So you had lots of time then, essentially half of his time at home, yeah. a little less yeah. if he left at 18, Yeah. to fix and heal and, and there was, build there something was, new. There was lots of healing that took place. Any other kids? I've got five. Ooh. Yeah. And what number was he in the order? First. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was first. So that transformation really affected all of those kids. Oh my kids gosh, the whole family. And... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was just, I mean, it just changed a lot. And I was just at home a lot more and we did things. We did vacations together and, and I was at things that I should have done, whereas I didn't feel like... I want to miss this event of the church. And I thought, you know what? I will miss this event at the church. And that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Because as we always say, say it, Pastor Serve, and this is one of our mantras, all of life is ministry, but your family is your primary ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And we just have to just, that just has to be said over and over again. It's because I always hear, man, I'm struggling with my, like over here, I've got my wife and my kids, and over here, I've got like the ministry, and I just can't get this straight, my family or, or my ministry. My, it's like, man, that's the wrong paradigm. Yeah. All of life is ministry. All yeah. of it is ministry. And your family has got to be your primary ministry. Ooh. Yeah. And I think that we don't just say that at Pastor Serve. I think we actually do that at Pastor Serve. So like for our staff, it's like, oh my gosh, if you have a family issue, that is always priority. Yeah. Always priority. So that's a huge thing. By the way, I would just like to make a comment. You are much better at smoking and drinking and talking at the same time. Because I start talking, it's like, man, said, I'm having a hard time doing anything here. So you talk for a little bit because I'd like to, uh, I'd like to just indulge you for just a second. Well, one of the good things about this is we can take our time and you can slow down and take a little puff and relight in between and take a sip in between thoughts. So feel free to do that. 
my next question for you is with that transformation, with that shift, I assume your church was supportive of that. What did that look like? Talking yeah. to them and being with your board or elders <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. That's a great question. And listen, we did so much stuff here wrong. I just laughed about it. Yeah. So I felt that really strong call. It was actually the weekend. And I was up in Chicago and we went back to the church on Monday and resigned. I mean, like immediately. It's like really? God wants us to start pastor serve right now. It could not have been more naive. We had no plan, no board, no money, no, I mean, we didn't have anything. So you made the transition to pastor serve. Like that next day. It so, was like, okay, we're starting pastor serve. <laughs> I mean, I, but, so but naive. Af but after you made that internal trans decision to right. focus on your family and oh, be, yeah. be less yes. of an ass. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. That, so that, that all, not only the internal transformation, but the external transformation of getting that call to be a pastor for right, pastors right. was all in the same Time. So, yeah, so I mean, like the big, big transition in my heart was it really kind of launched in like 1997. Okay. And then I felt called to pastor serve in 1999. Okay. So there was about two years of a huge, I mean, big, big life change and then starting to meet with pastors and then heard those stories over and over again. Then I just thought, man, there's a void here. Yeah. There's a need that's just enormous. And so we thought we need to step in and meet that need. And you started Pastor Serve. It wasn't an existing ministry that... Correct. Correct. It was myself and my wife. I have an amazing wife, Sally, yeah. who was very, very much a part of it. Really? She was very supportive because it's like, okay, we're actually paid at the church. We, we, you know, we have a very nice salary. We're going to just walk away from that to, I mean, like essentially nothing and start over from scratch and start this nonprofit ministry with no plan, no board, no nothing. No, you know, 501c3, nothing. Young kids at home. What's that now? Young kids at oh, home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Kids at home. And uh, it's like, this is the smart thing. It was such a clear call. It was such a clear call. It's like, you know what? We have to do this. Yeah. And God will just graciously provide. And, you know, God has been incredibly kind. So talk yeah. about those first years of Pastor Serve. Man, we struggled. We struggled. And it was like... Was this smart? Because we thought we we're going to live on savings. And then it was, we cashed in a bunch of our retirements. And it's like, okay, maybe this wasn't the best idea. And I got some contracts to coach a bunch of guys. So like, actually, I was the PCA church planting coach, which was a great contract for us. Because it was that contract that kind of actually, we kind of got through through some really, really lean times. And then after about two and a half years of pastor serve, there were four phenomenal businessmen who just said, hey, we just believe God wants this to be much, much more. And we'd like to be your first board and we will really back you financially. And uh, we're going to make sure that everything is right. And we're going to get, you know, like just like all the right paperwork. And they were phenomenal. And so we hired our first African-American staff in 03, our first Hispanic staff in 03. Because at the very, very start, the very start, we said, this can't be a white male suburban pastor's ministry. Mm -hmm. This is not a PCA ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, we will serve all the way across the board. We're going to serve the OPC and the PCA and the EPC and Baptist and Vineyard and the AG 
and we're going to serve over here. With, I mean, we're going to serve everybody. We're going to serve Baptists, and we're going to serve Lutherans. We're going to serve a, the whole yeah. spectrum. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were those that really, really pushed on that hard that said, oh, man, you got to have a niche. You've got to have your little group. I think you should stay like with, with like a bunch of reform people because that was your tribe. And it's like, you know what? God has expanded my tribe. I mean, man, I went through that big, big transformation well, I mean, it, and it, God expanded it, my tribe. Exactly. Like, exactly. You had pastors from other denominations before you left the church that were coming to you. Right. And meeting That's with exactly you. right. I mean, from all the way across the board. I've, I've said this on the broadcast too many times. Maybe not too many times because there might be somebody listening to this for the first time. But one of the greatest, absolute greatest parts, features of me working all those years that I did for Dr. Dobson at Focus on the Family and Family Talk was we worked with every freaking denomination under the sun. Love it. And during those times in broadcasting, we had capacity that when things were going well, we had margin to sit around and talk and hang out. And when things were changing and we had the margin to be able to meet that capacity and then come right back down. And during that time, I would have these conversations with these reformed guys or these Southern Baptist guys, because I grew up AG. Okay. And when I moved here, I went to New Life, which was a non-denominational charismatic church. That's just what I grew up with. And I really developed a real deep appreciation for reformed teachers like R.C. Sproul, because in the morning devotion, someone would bring an R.C. Sproul teaching and be like, wow, that was really challenging. I d- I'd never heard that before. Yeah. And then I'd sit in their office and we'd have these conversations about theology and everything. And I'd talk with these guys and I'd be like, and women, and I'd be like, okay, I don't necessarily ag- know if I agree with that yet right. or if I disagree with that, but I know you. Right. And we have a relationship right. and I because we sweat and we bleed in the same trenches and we're doing this work together. I have a genuine respect for you. And so you've given me something really to chew on and really kind of think about. And it was that iron sharpening iron that was yeah, beautiful so across the board. And it blows me away that we still, there's this, fortunately, I feel like we've hit a turning point within the overall body in, right. in, here in America of being less denominational, denominationally yes. focused and right. being more open to these other denominations yeah. and not having this backbiting and this accusation and this you know, protecting our little fiefdom right. within the denominations and firing arrows at all these other denominations and realizing that, exactly. hey, if we all get on the same page and we all really appreciate and we focus on those, as my pastor used to call it, my PCUSA pastor for the church that we went to for 11 years, nice. he called it spine issues and rib issues. Okay. The spine issues are the big ones. There and you the go. Rib issue, the That's rib good, issues like are, you know, it's... It helps protect the heart, but it's not a spine issue. If your spine is completely severed at the brainstem, you're dead. Wade, remind me to steal that and put that in my next book. So, (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Spine and ribs, I like that. That's good, yeah. And so it really gave me an appreciation. So I'm glad that you also had that awakening and and, and really started pastor serve with that goal of reaching out across the entire body, the whole body, male and female, black, white, Hispanic. I mean the whole, it's like, listen, I mean, you know what? Poor rich. I mean like suburban and like the urban core. We said, listen, we've got to serve the whole church. And that's what I love about pastor serve is that we get to serve the whole church. I mean, we serve folks out in the country. We serve folks that are in very small churches. We serve some crazy large churches. It's absolutely for all pastors. I had breakfast with, with the pastor 
last week. He has a church of 70. I was in Fort Lauderdale a week and a half ago. I had breakfast with a pastor that has a church of 19,000. <laughs> and you know what? It's because they both have needs. Yeah. And you know what? They're pretty close to each other. It's amazing. But it always comes down to the heart and just how's your soul and how's your marriage and how's your life. And I'm telling you, it's, we get so enamored. We get so enamored with this big front stage, which makes me crazy because I think we get so caught up in that person is just a great leader because they have a big church. And I would say, no, you know what? You can grow a big church just because you have a speaking gift. You can be a phenomenal communicator and on that gift alone, build a large church. That doesn't make you a great leader. It means that you're just a great communicator. Yes, exactly. And there's a lot of phenomenal communicators that are terrible leaders, but we label them leaders, right? We say, oh, he's such a great leader because he grew this big church. That doesn't mean that you're a leader just because you grew a large church. And I get so frustrated with hearing that. One of my favorite podcasts ah. that I've ever heard, and they raised the bar, in my opinion, for Christian media was The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. That is the perfect example of an excellent communicator who is a broken man and really a terrible leader. He's a terrible leader. But you know what, though? You can learn to be a good leader. Yes. And I genuinely hope that Mark Driscoll has yeah. learned to become a good leader I, and has learned so from well. his mistakes. I because, hope so as well. Because there are a lot of broken people in the wake of that church that are completely away from the faith or wherever they are. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing that makes me sad is that we will serve in a large church and everybody thinks, gosh, this, this is a great leader. And so we start to spend time with them and ask questions and we meet their staff and we meet their spouse and it becomes very, very clear. No, they're not a great leader. They're actually very poor, but you can learn to lead. And so we'll say, hey, here's some ideas that could help you to learn to be a much stronger leader. And I would say that I'm in like the big church guys, maybe... 20% to a third say, wow, you know what? You nailed it. You know what? You're right. You know what? I need help in that area. And I'm very, very open to get help and be trained. The overwhelming majority, 67 there's to arrogance 80%. and they're like, well, I've no, built this thing. I exactly. built this, I built this, I built this church. I have to be great because I built this church. It's like, no, because when you try to communicate what you would call leading, you know what? You're just a bully and yeah. you just shame people. You're not leading well. But you can learn to, if you would just humble yourself, you can learn to be a good leader. Yeah. And I wish that more and more pastors would just say, gosh, I have a lot of gifts. I'm a strong communicator, but I'm probably not a great leader. We can help you with that. There are some great places to go to be trained to lead well. Mm. Anyway. So talk about Pastor Serve. What do you guys do? How do you help people? What are the kinds of different ways in which you can come along? Because I guarantee you there are listeners right now who are thinking, ooh, I really think my pastor could benefit from Pastor Serve. How do I present this to them as a way in which to help them out personally, professionally, et cetera? Yeah. We have done lots of research over the years, and we have found that pastors that thrive have a boss, trainer, coach, counselor, and just a good, good mentor, and then some good friends. Boss, trainer, coach, counselor, mentor, friend. Those are six key, key relationships, okay? And so we meet a lot of pastors who say, 
I'm in a staff-led church, so you know what, actually, I'm the boss. And I don't have a trainer, because I'm the guy that does most of the training. I don't have a coach, because I kind of think that that's for people that are just starting out. And, or I feel like my church is so big or so great or whatever it might be, I don't think I need a coach. And uh, I think the counseling is just a waste of time, because I don't have those issues. And I used to have a mentor, but I lost touch, you know, years and years ago with my mentor. And if I'm completely honest, I don't think I have any real true friends because I carry a lot of secrets. And I can say, you know what, if that's you, you are absolutely destined for a huge fall. You're destined for a yeah. huge fall because you need those roles in your life. So a big, big role that we fill we coach a lot of pastors. Have those big falls happened with some of those people that you have met with with the bigger churches that have been like, "Yeah, I'm a good leader. I'm a, I've got it <laughs> all together." It's a long list, Steve. Oh my, yes. Oh yeah, it's a long list. Are they open after that fall? Some, some, but some there's they're still arrogance even afterwards. It's like, okay, you've just been fired, but your church still wants to bless you because they believe that you still have a place in the kingdom. They still want to help you grow and learn. They're like, ah, no, I think I'll just do something else now in life. It's like, wow. Because I know if you would get some help in this area, it's not just going to bless the church. I know it's going to bless your marriage. It's going to bless your parenting. Because if you have these issues at the church, I promise you, you have these issues at home. It's always the case. Always the case. Anyway, so we coach a lot of pastors. So we process with them. We help them think things through. We ask a lot of questions, and it's been phenomenal. Our best coach is right there, Wade Brown. He is a phenomenal coach. And so if you live anywhere close to, like, the Rocky Mountain region, Wade Brown. I mean, he's – and listen, <laughs> that's not me being humble. Trust me. Probably right now on our team, I'm probably coach number – Eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> Just be, you know why? why? Your, your COO, Jim Fennelson, is nodding oh, his yeah, head. Oh, yeah, he's like, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. You know what, though? Because I like to consult more. I really like to consult. Really? I like to go in and just because I'm, hey, you should probably just do this and this and this. So I am much more of a consultant. So we do a lot of that as well. So we do a lot of consulting. But it's not just that. I mean, like, it's like a bunch of staff retreats we do. We do lots of soul care retreats. Mm. We, I mean, you know, the, we, we have some conferences and some events. So there's also consulting. Those things are oftentimes very, very proactive. We love the proactive piece. That's a lot more enjoyable. The thing that we do lots of is crisis care. But we do a lot more than that. But you know what, though? It's our sweet spot. We do a lot of crisis care. So just as I walked in here, I just got a text from a guy that's in a huge crisis and he's like, I'm devastated. We have to talk right now. I think my life's, I mean, he's just, I mean, it's a huge crisis in his life. So there's a lot of crisis care and that can be moral failures. That could be a church conflict that they don't know what to do. It can be that they have big, big issues in their marriage. It can be that there's addictions that they feel incompetent. We get that all the time. It's like, man, I'm embarrassed because I went to the very best schools. I went to Wheaton College and I went to school at Dallas Seminary and I'm in my church and I freaking don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I hear that a lot. It's like, I don't know what to do. I feel lost because I was trained in how to preach and how to do these things. I wasn't trained in leadership. Is that starting to change at the seminary level? Some, but it's very slow because I've met with a lot of seminaries and just said, 
you know that the thing that guys struggle with are not the things that you guys are teaching. And the thing is in seminaries, you can't add anything. You have to purge. So like if something comes in, something's got to go out because you have this time. It's like, okay, we can't say, well, you have to have more and more hours. It's like, okay, these are the hours. So you have to purge. And they're always like, okay, what things would you purge? And I said, I would purge five semesters of languages each for both Greek and Hebrew because the world's changed. You know what? We have the internet now. And you need to learn how to use the tools, but you don't need five semesters to learn how to use the tools. You could learn how to use the tools in one or two semesters easily. Because we, you know, there's, there's this invention out there. It's called the internet. Let's use where, it. Where you can have a tool like Bible Hub. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. And, exactly. And, and or be, I'm, and, I'm, I guess you've got log. You could go on and on. But yeah. it's like, okay, here's the problem. Our Hebrew you know, prof and our Greek professor, they have tenure. And they're not going to budge an inch. And it's just so frustrating because it's like the things you're doing to train your people. There's a lot of great things, but there's so many things that people are being fired because they can't lead and they don't know how to work through conflict and they can't why, do why the not, most basic why, why things. Not have, why not have two different tracks? One is, you know, focused on those languages and the other one is focused on the more practical stuff and let the seminary students choose which one they want to go down. Let's have a campaign for you to, yes, yes, please. So that way you're, you don't have to deal with those, you know, tenured language professors giving up stuff, people can still focus on that if they want to become a theologian who knows those ancient languages inside and out and, you know, studies them, but then have something that is, I mean, why can't it be a both and so people can choose? That makes sense, Steve. (laughs) So because that makes sense, I don't think it's a good idea, you know, (laughs) golly, yeah, it's crazy. So that's what we do. We coach and we do lots of consulting and there's crisis care. But you know what? There's just a huge amount of just care for pastors. We're just a safe, confidential place that you can call and just unload or process or just ask us questions and say, but I'm in a bad situation. I do not know what to do right now. Okay. Okay. Well, let's process with you. I've said this on the broadcast before. But one of the reasons why I so love your organization and your team is because during my time at Focus, I was the editor for the Pastor to Pastor tape series and oh, CD series. I didn't know that. Yeah, for a long time. I was HB London's guy. So HB London ran the pastoral ministries department at Focus. And Focus was really kind of the leader in that space. and then, Oh, very much so with HB and Wade, absolutely. Yeah, and Wade was a part of that team. And so when Focus decided to, I don't know if it was necessarily so much HB retired or they just decided to just close down their pastoral ministries division, I always saw this hole because I looked around because I was trying to figure out a way to help my pastor because I was getting more involved and I was taking on some leadership at my church, my PCUSA church, and that left and went to the EPC during the whole PCUSA yep, yep, stuff. A lot of churches did. And so I was like, what is out there? And that's when I found Wade. Nice. And that's when I found you yeah. and Pastor Serve. And I encouraged him. I said, listen, this might be something for you. And sure enough, it came at a time in his life that there was some massive transformation starting to go on, not only within the church, 
but also within him personally, where he was, you knew he was kind of getting ready for retirement and what was that next step. And so I know that Wade really kind of talked him through a lot of that stuff and really put him onto his transitional gig, which was working with the Salvation Army and managing this outdoor camp. And then he eventually retired. And I so love and appreciate your ministry, man. Well, thank you. It's filling a hole and it's filling a need. Yeah. And I know I've been talking with you and Wade and Jim about you guys need to do a freaking podcast. And I'm glad that it are. sounds like you guys are starting to get ready to do that. We and are. So. Okay, here's a great story, which is way, way off topic. Yes. But it's just a great story. So Pastor Serve was launched in 1999. Yeah. But it was not called Pastor Serve. For two years, it was called Pastor to Pastor. And, we, <laughs> and so we were just off the radar. But in 2001, I got a cease and desist letter from Focus on the Family saying, hey, that's our name. We have a tape series and your work is starting to grow. It's going to become confusing. Cease and desist. And so it's like, we have to change our name. And so we changed it to Pastor Serve, which I like Pastor Serve a thousand times more. Yeah. It's like, thank God we changed our name. But it's just hilarious that for about two years, it was called Pastor to Pastor. But then we got this letter from Focus from, from, from the legal department at Focus on the Family, <laughs> which you know what I should have saved because it was just such a classic. It scared me to death. I thought, oh, what my are we going to do? What are we going to do? Whoa, we've been using this name and we're starting to grow a little bit. We got to change our name. And it was like, and I mean, it was just like Pastor Serve. I mean, that just, it's a like, beautiful wait, wait, name. Is that one word or it's just one word? And okay, let's go with it. It's a beautiful and name. now it just feels like, Thank God we changed our name. It's the right name. But oh, totally. Because how it many people have got a cease and desist letter from folk? I don't know. It, it might be might be more people than we'd like to think. Anyway. <laughs> oh, what's your vision for Pastor Serve? Formerly Pastor to Pastor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the thing that makes me sad is when I hear a story about a pastor that you know what he's in a rough place. And he goes through this rough, rough patch and it just ends up in a bad place. And I mean, maybe years and years afterwards, I speak with him and he says, I didn't know who to call. I just didn't know that there was a place I could go. I want pastors. I want every pastor to know there is a place where you can go. That's the goal that every pastor in America would know there's a place where I can go. That doesn't mean that they'll call us. A bunch of them won't. But I just want them to know, hey, you know what? There's a place where you can go. And it's not just for all the hard stuff. It's for also, you know what? I mean, like it's also good stuff, but there is a place where you can go. And so I want that phrase to just be wiped out amongst pastors. I just didn't know that there was a place I could go. That's where I would hope the pastor serve could just get to where pastors would know. Man, there's a group out there that wants to serve you. When they have a heart to serve you, they're gospel-centric, they're men and they're women, they're Haitian and white and black and Hispanic and they're Asian. It's a very broad-based group that I think we've got. Are you focused exclusively on the U.S. or are you guys doing We're doing some stuff in Haiti. Of, okay. We're doing some stuff in Canada, doing a little bit of stuff in Hong Kong. And our board right now is starting to talk more and more about the world because we just get lots of requests from like, especially Europe, a lot of requests. And so we're just trying to make things, I'm sure that things are just strong enough here before we you know, launch elsewhere. But 
How can listeners support you guys in what you're doing outside of just recommending their pastor get plugged in? Yeah, we always have to have funds because we serve lots of churches that can't pay. That's always a need because, listen, we don't serve just the white suburban churches that can pay the bill. We serve lots of Hispanic churches, a lot of Hispanics. We have a phenomenal Hispanic staff. And there's just lots that we do that we just have to raise money for because we're not going to ever like actually have that revenue. It's just not going to happen. And so there's always that need. And then just pray for us. Mm-hmm. Just pray that we would have wisdom and insight and understanding that we would know, you know, here's times to you know, press in a little bit and here's times to just back off a little bit and pray that if our staff is to grow, that we just have the right staff in the right areas. And we need staff. I mean, we need staff in like the Great Lakes you know, area. That's an area in which we don't have staff. Yeah. We need staff in the Northeast. That's an area in which we don't have Staff. So there are some, gosh, there's some big gaps around the country that we just don't have, you know, staff. And I would hope to have staff in all those places. So it's like, hey, listen, if you have an issue, you can always drive and meet with this guy who's in Philly or this gal who's up in Cleveland or this person who's in Chicago, whoever it might be. So there's always that need as well. Where do people find out? Pastorserve.org. It's very simple. Pastorserve.org. And we'll have a or link. call Wade Brown on his cell phone. <laughs> his number is 719. <laughs> He's available 24 7. It's beautiful. Uh, Jimmy Dodd, let's get to rapid fire questions. Oh, man. Rapid fire. Fire. Here. <laughs> My first rapid fire question is normally, how's that stick treating you? But you set that thing down and Man, it went out. Set, and- <laughs> I'm telling you, I just have to get better at this. I mean, my beer is about gone. I know. It's just, you're obviously very gifted at this. Uh, my my <laughs> well, goal is no, to be no, a lot no, more no, like no, you. Here's the thing. It's because I'm the interviewer. I'm the one asking the questions. When I was interviewed on the podcast, I found myself in a very similar position where I was having to relight and it would go out and relight no, and it would go me. out and just not ended up. But I'm taking that with me. I just want you beautiful, to know that. Beautiful. I want, I want to know. You because I'm a... staying at Wade's house, and he has a porch, and it'll be fine tonight. So so for the listeners, I gave him a comfortably known by Espinosa, which and anyone that's listened to this podcast knows it's my favorite dollar-for-dollar dollar cigar. Nice. So I want to know how that stick treats you. I okay. want, you need to text me okay. or shoot me a message on Facebook because <laughs> that's a requirement for me giving you that stick. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first try cigars or pipe? Gosh, that's a great question. You know what? The time that I loved it more than I thought, okay, was I got a visa to do some work in Haiti in the year, no, Haiti, excuse me, Cuba in the year 2000. And we would work hard all throughout the day and work with pastors and share with pastors. And every night, Monte Cristo number two on the roof with a nice glass of wine. Every night we ended that way. And to smoke Cubans in Cuba, yeah. that was it. And it was like, you were okay, You're all right, this is, it was an amazing trip. Talk about what the faith community is like, in, was like in Cuba 22 years ago. And has that changed at all in the last 22 years? Their faith is amazing. You just, because, you just feel so humbled because it's like, man, these people, my gosh, it cost them something. It cost them a lot down there. What does it cost them? 
I mean, like in one sense, everything. Uh, because it's like there are those that, that are just at times ostracized and it's like they're just pushed out of communities. And so it's like, okay, what, what are your big needs? Do you need to be uh, taught this? You need to be taught this? It's like, no, we need a bag of rice because we just don't have any funds right now because we have no way to get work because we feel called to care for pastors and there's no way to get paid for that down here in Cuba. And so the thing we need right now is a bag of rice. So it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, it was just incredibly humbling. Yeah. Amazing people. Yeah. You ever do pipe? No, I've never smoked a pipe in my life. Jim, you got to fix that. You got to figure. There's a lot to do. <laughs> it's a long list. Jimmy's a work a in progress. List. Jimmy's a work in progress. What's your favorite cigar? Because of Cuba, it's the still, Monte Cristo it's number still two. the Monte Cristo number two. I mean, I just loved it. I mean, like I love a Churchill as well, but I love them. I mean, telling you, that time in Cuba was so just memorable. It was unforgettable. And it was like, that was just a life-changing trip. And the fact that every night on the roof, it just to just like overlook, I mean, it was just one of those incredible experiences. It's like, okay, this trip is life-changing. But it's like, I just became just hooked at that point on it. But it has to be Cuban. What's the most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? <laughs> That's a great question. I bought a cigar with Matt Hurd in St. Louis. Yeah. On his birthday, and I bought one for him as well, and it was like, it was like ninety dollars. It was ridiculous. And I'm like, Matt, Matt, there is no way. And he was like, It's my birthday, please, 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 let's smoke. It was, and you know what? I cannot even remember. Remember it. I would have to call Matt because I know that Matt, Matt would know. But it was ridiculous. Well, Matt, the wine sommelier, exactly. has this refined palate. Exactly. For him, it would be worth it. For Why me, else? for me, who doesn't have that gift. Amazingly, is, is, is this a good cigar or is it not a good cigar? Do, um, is it good with my palate or is it not good with my palate? Amazingly, the most expensive wine I've also had in my life was also with Matt Hurd. So, <laughs> Matt's a very expensive friend. I don't, I, I don't know if you know that, but uh, that's true. Absolutely love, true. Absolutely, that's love true. The man. Most expensive cigar and the most expensive wine, both with Matt. That he should come here for self defense. Yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt should come here for self defense. But the wine is a great story. Okay, let's hear it. Because after the fires here, Matt thought his house was gone. Yeah. Matt thought his house was gone. Yeah. It was on the west side of town during yeah, the... Yeah, it was just... An, yeah. And I mean, he lost lots and lots of his neighborhood. So, like, I came here and we had some, you know, I mean, like, we had some funds. I think we probably had probably 50,000 bucks just to help out pastors. Yeah. So, I'm just about to leave and a guy meets me at the airport and he hands me $5,000 cash. And he said, listen, find pastors that just need to be blessed and bless them. And I don't care what you spend on them, bless pastors. Wow. wow. And so Matt came back because he was with his wife and kids actually in Europe. And he, you know, and so it's one of those things he came back because he thought, his, he thought, oh my gosh, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And he was in a, just in a rough place because it was just awful. So I said, Matt, you know what? Let's have a nice meal. And Matt, this is the only time in my life I will ever speak these words. Money is no object. <laughs> and he said, there's a place in Denver. Let's go there and have a nice steak and just a nice bottle of wine. So we went there and we had a nice steak. And there's this wine that he, he knew all about it. Oh, yeah. He knew everything about it. Let's just say it was an expensive bottle of wine. But the guy had said, 
bless, I don't care what you do. Listen, I just want you to bless pastors. I thought this is going to bless Matt. It's going to be a big deal for Matt. So we had this amazing dinner and we had this wine that was, it was good. <laughs> it was spectacular. Wow. Wow. And I will never spend that much on a bottle of wine again the rest of my life. <laughs> but that night it was just the right thing. Oh yeah. Night. It was what he needed. What his soul needed. Absolutely what he needed. If you're talking about soul care, it's what his soul needed. Absolutely. It was a great night. Best dollar for dollar cigar you've ever smoked. Well, if you buy him in Cuba, you could buy them out of crystal. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, because you could buy them cheap down there. My gosh. And I brought back a box and it was like, you know, it's one of those things. If you're in Cuba, you can, I don't know if their limit is now two boxes, but you can bring back boxes. And man, if you can do that. But I bought some Cubans actually in Haiti also. And paid some great, I mean, I mean like a great price. I brought back a box of Churchill's that I bought in Haiti that were Cubans, you know, that there's all sorts of ways around it. And I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud because I'll have a call from like the U S government and passport control saying, I think you owe us some back taxes or something. But anyway, <laughs> there might be a statute of limitations on that. I hope so. <laughs> Where's your go-to place to get your smokes? There's a place that's right by my house called the outlaw. It's right by my house, yeah. right by my house in Overland Park. Do they have a lounge there? Oh, yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. Outlaw. It's a great I, spot. I, I shall have to. You need to come there because you have so, multiple friends in Overland Park. Well, and my pastor, we'd started this last year where we're doing this guy's trip. We're doing a weekend away, just a bunch of guys that either go to the church or used to go to the church, and they've now moved on to Detroit. Or he wasn't, he's been in the Michigan area, and now he's living in Kentucky. And another guy who now lives in Nashville, and one who lives in Oklahoma. And so we get together and we're starting this. And last year we did one in Milwaukee. Nice. And they went to a comedy show, and then we went to the Monday night game against the Lions this year, Ooh. which was a beautiful September night, a nice light rain, and so it wasn't too cold. And the Packers pulled it. And I mean, in the second quarter, they just started pulling away from the Lions. It was beautiful. So nice. this year, we're talking about going to Kansas City and hitting up a Chiefs game. Come on. And trying to do it on a weekend where we do, you know, a Chiefs game and then do a Royals game and possibly a sporting KC because my friend John Dale, who lives in Overland Park, he's the stadium announcer for Sporting Kansas City. Oh, really? Yeah. And so we want to go to a sporting game as well. So we want to try and hit up all three in one weekend. So we're we waiting for the NFL schedule to come out in likely May is usually when it comes out and make our determination of come when on. we're going to be out there. So I Call will. Me. I will. Me. I will. Absolutely. Now, I don't like to brag about this. Yes. But I am a licensed, trained judge of barbecue. Ooh. I judge every year at the World Championship. Really? So I know the best barbecue in Kansas City. Where's the best barbecue? I mean, there's there's probably like five or so spots. I love Joe's. I love Joe's. Slaps. I love I Joe's. Love, I love um, I, yeah. um, Jack Stack. I love Jack Stack. Is this Jack Stack one of your top five? Oh, yeah, okay. definitely. But anyway, I gosh, we could do a crawl. You know, most people do like a pub crawl. We could do barbecue like a barbecue crawl. crawl. We could have ribs at this place, and we could have some pulled pork at this place, and burnt. Oh, we could do the whole thing. Yeah, Joe's is my favorite. I have lunch at Joe's at least once a week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's a problem. My last trip to Kansas City, so my boys and I in August of 20 flew to Cleveland. Well, that Cleveland. was the trip you called me. Oh, no, I guess you didn't. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was only in town just for a little bit. 
Um, but on our way through, I picked up a Jeep in Cleveland, drove it all the way back to Colorado, and we swung into Overland Park to hang out with John just for a couple hours, and then spent the night at Elizabeth's cousin, my late wife's cousin's house. And we stopped at the Joe's store, and I got like a full gallon of Joe's barbecue sauce, and got you know, the sample pack of all their other you know, I sauces. I brought that out to you. Oh, it's good stuff. That. It's oh, it's so good. I love love Joe's. It's so oh, it's amazing. When you're celebrating, what's your splurge cigar? Oh man, I don't know. It's it it might it might be the comfortably numb. <laughs> might, that might be it. That, that might be it now. I don't know. What's your favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? I am very much a bourbon guy. If I can find it, I love Blanton's. If I can't find it, I really like Breckenridge. Ooh, but I love Blanton's. That's my go-to bourbon. If you can find it, but it's tough to find it. But I love a good Breckenridge, which you can buy at Costco for a really decent price. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, best place you've ever smoked in Cuba on the rooftop. Come easy. That's not even close. That's not even close. All right. Off of cigars and onto other things. Marvel or DC? Easily Marvel. Who's your favorite superhero? I've always been a Spider-Man guy. Really? I mean, like as a kid, just every day, I would read Spider-Man in the paper. I've always loved Spider-Man. What is it about Spider-Man? Because he was an everyday kid. You know, he was just like the everyday kid. I thought, man. Oh, yeah, I've always been a Spider-Man guy. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Although I do like Star Trek, but I mean, like I watched it every day after school as a kid. But Star Wars. Now, you know, four, five, six, amazing. Seven, eight, nine, really good. One, two, three, no. You like seven, eight, nine? Uh, well, I mean... Uh, Jimmy, I don't know but, if we can be friends anymore. But, 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 I mean, one, two, three were terrible. I just couldn't do one, two, three. Yeah. But you four, five, six, great. Yeah, I, I agree with the four, best. five, six. As a matter of fact, I have them on my phone. I can pull them up right now and play them. <laughs> Who are your sports teams? Packers? The Packers. KU? The Chiefs. The Jayhawks, big time. Always been a Jayhawk fan. And then, you know what? I've always loved the Royals. Boys love the Royals. Favorite food? Man, I love sushi. Mm. I love sushi. I could have it every meal. I love barbecue. Those would probably be, be my top two. What's but your favorite barbecue? I love go-to. burnt ends. Ooh, yeah. Love burnt ends. And I love a nice brisket. And it, it's painful to say. It's painful to say. I love Kansas City. We have the best pork. We have the best... I mean, we have the best all the way across the board, except I've had some you brisket in Texas. Really? That blew me away. I mean, like, especially in Austin, Texas. I've had some brisket there. I thought, okay, this is better than Kansas City. This is amazing. But just the brisket. Everything else there, crap. But the brisket's amazing. Dogs, cats, neither, or both? Oh, dude, dogs. Don't even. I mean, I've had dogs my whole life. We've had times in our life where we've had three. We've always had two, at least, dogs. Nickname growing up or in college? My nickname was so permanent. I mean, like in junior high, that people didn't even call me by my name. It was Yachts. Yachts. Because I had, this is the truth. This will sound made up. Yeah. I had size 15 feet in the eighth grade. And you're a big guy. You're what, 6'5"? No, no, 6'3". Okay. And I haven't grown a bit since the eighth grade. In height, I've grown out plenty. Yeah. But I had size 15 feet in the eighth grade. And everybody says, you have feet like boats. So they could call me yachts because my feet were so gigantic. And that, and it stuck. Yeah. Everybody called me yachts. Hey, yachts. What? What? That was it. <laughs> yachts. 
People still call you Yachts. Yeah. And then I had a good friend actually in college. He gave everybody nicknames. He was like, you're going to be this guy. And it stuck. It, I mean, it was just ridiculous. And he was like, your nickname is Jimmy Dad. He said, your name is your nickname. You just have to say it fast. Jimmy your Dad. nickname is Jimmy Dad. And it, that stuck. Everybody in college, Jimmy hey, Dad. Jimmy Dad, Jimmy Dad. He was like, you're the only person ever. Your name is your nickname. You just have to say it fast. And for a lot of people, that's been, I, I have so many friends that that's my nickname. <laughs> Jimmy Dad. It's like, that's strange, but that's what they. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I used to race go-karts and I was into it. Really? And I raced on the national circuit. Really? I raced against Al Unser Jr. I raced against Lake Speed. I raced against all sorts of guys. How old were you when you were doing that? From the age of eight until 18. Yeah. And the first time I was clocked, going over 100, I was clocked at 124 at Lake Afton, Wichita, when I was 11 years old. So I drove by myself in a you know, vehicle. Yeah. It was a go-kart. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I, I, I went fast. Because I went to college. I mean, for years and years, I thought, I want to be the first pastor that wins the Indy 500. I mean, I was like, I loved it. Yeah. I was very into it. And I thought, man, this is my life. But then there was a point where I was like, okay, is this a hobby? And it just became clear at the very end, this is a great hobby but this is just not my life. If you were stranded on a desert island with only three books and the Bible, what would those three books be? Pilgrim's Progress, The Lord of the Rings, and Calvin's Institutes. I don't like this term, but it's so used. Do you have a life scripture? No, no. The thing that comes to mind all the time is Blessed are the persecuted. Because I know that around the world, that that's a verse that means so much around the world. And I, you know what? I've been very, very privileged to go to a lot of countries. I've been in a lot of different places. Yeah. And it's one of those things around the world. The big verse is not John 3.16. That's a big verse in the USA. Everybody knows John 3.16. Well, I mean, like around the world, it's, you know what? The blessed are the persecuted. And it's like, man, we have it so easy here. We have it so easy here. And I see things all over the world, and I think, man, I need to make sure that I'm on the front lines enough that there's some hard things that's, you know, yeah. When I think of that scripture, I think it's in Joel, where God says, your offerings mean nothing to me because you are overfed and unconcerned with the poor. I think of the American church so often. Yeah. It's amazing to me that, I mean, like all over the world, it's just assumed. It's assumed. If you start a church, you're going to start an orphanage. You're going to start a school. You know what? You're going to start a medical center. You're going to have a well on your property. That's just the way the church works around the world. You know what? In the USA, it's like no. a building that we come to and we consume. That's it. That's it. An orphanage? Are you crazy? Why would we ever have an orphanage? Yeah. Well, there's a foster system out there that's broken, that there's millions. Of, uh, anyway, kids I could go needing on yeah. millions of kids that need yeah. a permanent home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you could be any animal, what would you be? I'd say a dog. Just because, I mean, my dog is so loyal to me. I, it's ridiculous. My dog loves me. Gosh, when I walk in the door and I think, you know what? What kind of dog? He's a golden. 
Okay. No, I'm golden. But I mean, like, you, you know, he's a white golden. He's an English cream golden. So he's a white golden, which is a great breed. Really? Yeah, it's a great breed. Mm. Yeah, so I'd say dog, because I think that they're just amazing animals. And I think that they're probably the closest thing that we have that's actually friends. You know, it's like, man, I think my dog is my friend at the same time, you know? What's your favorite dog breed? Goldens? Or is there another yeah. one? Uh, my gosh, I love Goldens. I also have a Yorkie. That's my least favorite dog breed. I, <laughs> I have a dog at home that drives me crazy. But you know what the scripture that comes to mind over and over again? A righteous man is kind, even to his animals. That's a great proverb. Ooh. Yeah, it's a great proverb. That's, it's like, okay, that's scripture. Ooh. A righteous man is kind, even to his animals. So there are times that this little dog will yelp and I'll think, okay, be kind. It's in the Bible, be kind, even to your animals. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. If you could live anywhere, where would that be? Overland Park, Kansas. Anywhere besides Overland Park. Oh, man. Gosh, I love Cape Town, South Africa. Ooh. I mean, I just, that's just the most spectacular city. I mean, that just captured me. I mean, I just love Cape Town. I just find it spectacular. Have you had a chance to meet Rob Smith in the Seattle area in the Holy Smokes community? No. You got to meet Rob. He's from South Africa really? and he's South incredible. Africa's incredible. He's an incredible human being. I love Rob to death. I'm taking the boys out to Seattle this summer and we're going to go stay with Rob for a bit. Nice. And nice. yeah, he's a great human being. Oh, love that man. What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? My greatest strength is I think that in the darkest day for a person that I can see hope. I think that that's my sweet spot is to meet with people that are in a very dark place where they just kind of feel like, man, there's no hope. And I love to give them hope. And I think that I can share just like enough of my story, just enough of the gospel that I think that that's my greatest strength is to give hope in some really dark days. My greatest weakness, it's a long list. These guys over here are probably thinking, yeah, it's a, it's a long list. My greatest weakness is that I, there's too much in me that wants to be just completely independent. And I just have to say, okay, God, the one thing I want to do with you is I want to be completely dependent upon you. Because in my days of independence, man, those are the worst days as far as sin. But I want to get to a point where I'm just so dependent upon Jesus. I want to be so linked to Jesus. And the thing that has been on my mind the past month where I've thought, man, I've got to really process this through is, is it says in, I think it's John 15, 4, you know, that he's the vine, we're the branch. And, you know, there could be a branch that does not bear fruit and it has to be cut off. And it's like, okay, wait a second. You can be a branch attached to the vine and still not bear fruit. That's a powerful thought. Yeah. So we can be attached to Jesus and not bear fruit. And it's like, man, you know what? I just want to make sure that I'm not just attached to Jesus, but that I'm bearing fruit because I'm attached to Jesus. Ooh. So. Ooh. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? That's a great question. I mean, like, I think that Jack Miller uh, was a big, big influence. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I think that Keller's been a big influence in my life. How's because I know, just, yeah, because I know that his backstage is very, very much the thing that matches his front stage. Because I know that he's a man of prayer. I know that he's completely dependent upon Jesus. How's he doing? Well, well I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. He has stage four cancer. I mean, he's not great. 
But I think he's our modern day C.S. Lewis. I think that we will read Tim Keller for centuries. Yeah, I think he's incredible. And Mm -hmm. he's the real deal. Absolutely the real deal. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful? Wow. Yeah, just because of the way that I think about that, it's the husband that is faithful to his wife and his kids all throughout his life. It's my dad. I mean, like, it's not the big show, but it's the guy that's on his deathbed and can look back and say, yeah. You know what? It was just a long obedience in the same direction, you know, which was just like the greatest book title of all time. It's like, you know, I just want to live a long obedience in the same direction. And I think of people on their deathbed that are there and just said, man, I just kept the faith all the way through. That's huge in my mind. What do you do for self-care to rest, to recharge? Well, I usually relax by watching KU basketball, but the past week it has created massive anxiety. It's caused me to say a lot of non-pastoral words. So that's not <laughs> been that's not been a good thing this past week. But you know what? I mean, like I love sports, and you know what? I get way too into sports, and I have way too many sports teams. I'm also a I mean, you know what? I'm a big soccer guy. And I mean, like, I love Liverpool. I've been a huge Liverpool since 2005. I've watched every Liverpool game. I watch every game. Really? They played this afternoon. Tonight, tonight when I go to bed at Wade's house, I'll pull it up on the phone and I'll probably watch it. I mean, it's an addiction. It's a problem. But you know what? I mean, mean, like, I love sports. I just, yeah, that's a way that I can have fun and just relax. One of my favorite memories with John Dale in Overland Park. Yeah was he was at my, he happened to be in town at my house for the game that the Royals won the World Series the last time they won it. And I got to watch it with him. And it was like, it was so great to see him just and and be cheering on because earlier that season, right towards the end of the regular season, I was in Kansas City and I went to a Royals game with him and we were a couple rows up behind the catcher and Kauffman Stadium is such a beautiful stadium yeah. it is an absolutely stunningly beautiful it's a great park when you're close to the field you feel like you're really in the action whereas a lot of parks you know the area behind the catcher is much bigger and you feel just disconnected from the game Kauffman it's like you're right there yeah it's a beautiful I, park I, I love it I love the Royals I have some very very close ties with the Royals so like I get to do some stuff with the Royals and I love that's it. beautiful that's awesome it's fun how do you want to be remembered? Yeah, as a guy that loved his wife well, that was a good dad, and that loved pastors, and was a man that lived his life well till the very, very end. That's yeah, pretty simple. All right, final three questions. Okay, final three. What does Holy Smokes mean to you, and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? It's been largely through, through actually, Jim. It's been very, very much about relationships. I've met some of the greatest people in the world. It's not about cigars. That's a means to an end. Yes. The end is relationship. And you get to meet people and you get to know people. I mean, like I'm here with you now because of that. So it's, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. If you were to have a Holy Smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Wow. Well, I would choose two of the great cigar smokers of all time, Churchill and Spurgeon. Would, would be two, just boom, boom. The third, 
you know what? It's just going to sound strange, but there's times I want to meet with people that are crazy and just say, help me understand why you're so crazy. It would be Fidel Castro. It's like, man, why all the stuff all those years? I would just, just to try to understand why in the world did all of this happen? I today, going back to, to a little bit about that first question of the last three that I asked, yeah. I just had coffee today with a young guy who's running for office, state house, Democrat, used to be a Republican. He describes himself as a progressive constitutionalist, which is a really interesting dichotomy. And one of the things that we were talking about is just how this community just embraces so many different people and of different, you know, faith backgrounds. You don't, you don't even have to be a Christian to be involved in this. You just have to just not be an asshole and you got to follow the other three rules. I mean, those, it's pretty simple to be involved in this community. And we were talking about how this is just the greatest human beings that I've ever met. It's amazing. Yeah. And in that conversation, we were talking about how really the ultra woke left and where they're coming from and why they're coming from that way. And I described, I'd watched a documentary about Karl Marx and really Karl Marx's beliefs really came out of deep injustice that was going on at the time when it came to, you know, exploitation of workers and that kind of stuff. And all they needed to do was, you know, be a little more generous and give more and do more in the communities. Karl Marx would have never, would have never. You're right come up with his view of the world had, had there been that balance that's, that's needed. Good. And really, I, I think Castro was kind of the same thing. He yeah, saw the exploitation and he saw what was going on. And because he didn't come from any kind of faith background, right. he, this, this has to be the answer. Right. Exactly. This has exactly. to be the answer. It's heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. If we're to meet one year from today and I got a bottle of Blanton's, okay. what are we celebrating? It would be a pastor that was in a crisis, that was about to walk away from his church, from his marriage, and from Jesus. And he knew enough that he had to get some help, and he reached out to us at Pastor Serve. And we were able to walk with him through some dark valleys. And he came to a place where he is really good with Jesus, and he loves his wife well. If he's in the church, I don't know if that actually matters as much, but he's walking with Jesus. And he really loves his wife and his kids. And so, yeah, that would be a story. And that's what I celebrate. Holy Smokes community, get your pastor plugged into Pastor Serve. And let's see more than a dozen of those stories so that way we're celebrating Amen. 12, 15, 20, 100 pastors that have come in through this podcast and through yeah, this community awesome. that are walking that and we can really celebrate amen thanks steve jimmy dodd thanks for being on the holy smokes podcast love you brother oh man you're a great host this has been my pleasure my privilege can't wait to come back again oh dude next time i'd like just to sit in the other chairs and just watch but i'd like to come back i mean this is amazing so thank you (laughs) hey everyone i wanted to announce that we have holy smokes gear That's right, we have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers, like for your vehicle or your travel humidor, magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time. Go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club.
club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabera shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks. Thanks.